And I want to invite you guys to turn with me uh, in your Bibles, phones, tablets, whatever. And uh, we're going to be in chapter um, 5 today. So I'll give you a couple of minutes to do that. And just a real quick reminder, the book of Ecclesiastes uh, is written by Solomon, King Solomon. And he uh, was, um, he had lived his life, we think maybe towards the the latter part of his life. And he had all the wealth, power, and influence that he needed to, 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 do, to run an experiment in his life. And he basically did everything he could possibly do to try to find meaning and satisfaction in this life. We said uh, relationships, money, wealth, sex, pleasure, wisdom, folly, partying. I mean, he did it all. And then he concluded... It is all vanity. Uh, it is all just a vapor. It's all meaningless under the sun. And uh, so, picking up in chapter 5. If y'all would uh, turn there with me if you're already there, okay? So, starting in verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen, is better than the offer sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you owe. It is better that you should not vow, that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger what it is, that, it is, that it was a mistake. Excuse me. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase, the words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak this morning through your word. We pray that you would uh, challenge us and encourage us uh, and transform us. And we know because this is your word, inspired by you, breathed out by you, and inerrant, has no error, infallible. And what it says is true, is always true. And we know that we should be, will be transformed if we come under it. We help, we ask it in your help in this. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Wake-up call. There's good wake-up calls, and there's bad wake-up calls, right? And we've seen some of those over the last few weeks, what some of those looks like. One, one, one came to mind as I was preparing this week. I remember being on a youth camp one time. And now that I'm older and I'm a, a, a grown-up pastor, I have the luxury to not go to those anymore because then I don't have to sleep with people I don't want to. And so we were all crammed into this little cabin in the middle of February up in North Carolina mountains. It was freezing cold outside. I remember how cold it was. And in the middle of the night, a smell woke me up. I don't know who made the smell. Could have been me. Could have been... The, the very large man that was sleeping next to me, snoring like he was, you know, sawing, you know, timber. 
I don't know where it came from, but it woke me up. It was that bad. And, I, and so I woke up nearly gagging, nearly vomiting to this smell, and, and it literally woke me out of sleep. And so finally, you know, I put a pillow over my head. I tried to do my best to deal with this situation. And it happened like two more times. After the third time, I was like three strikes. I literally went out of this cabin and slept in like 20-degree weather in a van outside. It was that bad. That, my friends, was a nasty wake-up call. So, but here's the thing. Whether wake-up calls are rude, shocking, like getting water splashed on you, we've seen some of those kind of things, or even if it's, here's the thing, even if it's pleasant. And I have the most pleasant little ring on my phone now. Because when I first got it, the alarm was like, you know, it was like this rude, seriously rude awakening. But I tried to do it with like a really pleasant it's like a little guitar playing or something. I don't know what it is, but it's like really nice. But, it, you know, when, you, when you've only had a few hours sleep, six hours sleep, when that thing goes off, I don't care how pleasant it is, wake-up calls are usually rude, really harsh, and, and so on. And what we said is that very often we need wake-up calls in our lives. And that's what Solomon really is doing. Solomon is writing a book, and it's, it's, it's not this existential philosophy up in the clouds talking about meaning of life and this kind of stuff. This is real, gritty, wisdom literature stuff that says this is for practical life. This is for you, the nuts and bolts of your life. And so he's giving us a series of, hey, wake up, listen, pay attention. Why? And he starts his book off this way. Life is a vapor. It's, it's, it's with the word vanity we've said. And it's a Hebrew word meaning vapor, a little mist. It's, it's there one moment, the next it's gone. And the more you try to grab it, the more you try to cling to it, the quicker it goes away. And so he's, this is a series of wake-up calls. We said that a wake-up call, by definition, is a person or thing that causes people to become fully alert to an unsatisfactory situation and to take action to remedy it. It's, it's saying... Wake up, you need to make a change. It was like the doctor I mentioned last week. Remember Dr. House? The rough, you know, how long do you want to live? He showed me how nasty my blood was with cholesterol. And it was a wake-up call. And I started putting the insanity discs in and sweating it out. It was a, you know, I had to start changing what I was doing. I had to stop going to McDonald's and other nasty places to eat. So we're getting these wake-up calls. And we've seen throughout this book a couple of things. First of all, you know, we saw the first week is that life is a vapor. It's short. Live accordingly. We've seen that your life pursuits in, 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 under the sun, outside of Jesus, are pointless. You know, whether, no matter how much money, wealth, or whatever you get. I just saw an article about um, Steve Jobs. And, it, and it, it was basically the last thing that he said in his life was, all the wealth, all the success, fame, and accolades that I that I accumulated in my life, now that I lay in this bed, looking at a ventilator machine means nothing. None of it helps me now. He says, I can pay somebody to drive my car. I can't pay somebody to die for me. And he was like, basically what Solomon, he had come to the same conclusion, that, our, that his life pursuits were pointless. God, and we saw the next week that God is sovereign, you are not. 
He has ordered your life. He's ordering all things, and he will reclaim every moment. But you can, and, and so we have to trust him. And then last week, we saw that oppression and injustice are real, and we have a part in it. Okay, then this week, okay, we got a new wake-up call. Here it comes. Y'all ready? Here it is. Stop playing around with God. Stop playing around with God. And what, what I, let's, I'm going to open this up and pack and pack it. But Solomon here in this chapter gives us a warning. The very first verse, he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And this means watch where your steps are going. Watch where you are heading. And if you think about it, where your feet go is the direction you go in. And that's the idea here. If I point my feet left, I go left. Or I get an ACL tear. And they're out for the season. You don't know what that means. Okay, but he's basically saying, hey, watch out when you go into the presence of God. And that's in general what this passage is about. But there's three areas that I feel like he, he brings out here we need to hear. Three areas I feel like we, we tend to, to play around and not take God very seriously. Okay? And the first kind of thing, challenge he gives us is, first of all, shut up and listen. I mean, this is like really in your face kind of stuff. Shut up. And listen, look at verses uh, 1 through 3. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near. To listen is better than to offer sacrifices of fools, for they do not know that they are doing either. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. In other words, shut up. And listen, it's pretty simple stuff here. Um, so Solomon is telling us we need to take care how we come and approach God in worship, how we come and approach God in general. He's basically saying we need to shut our mouths, come to hear. You know, come with a posture of listening. So it's not just not saying anything, being quiet. Some of us do that. Uh, um, I can't remember Bart Simpson's mom's name in the Simpsons. Marge, yes. Marge Simpson, I think, was quoted to say in one of the episodes is, you know, uh, you, can, you know, you can keep your mouth shut and people might think you're a fool. Or you can open your mouth and prove them right. <laughs> Some people, that's up. I mean, I, you just be quiet enough. Don't say anything. Keep my head low enough. You know, and nobody will notice me. I don't have to be challenged. I don't have to be really brought you know, to a new place. And so some of us are quiet for the wrong reason. We'll get into that later. Okay, but th- this is saying having a posture, coming before God, being willing to hear and to listen. Now, and this is very different way of thinking about worship and approaching God than our than American culture, American society today really, you know, appreciates. For example, uh, Joel Osteen, you don't know him. His wife Victoria was quoted as a big viral video and a lot of discussion on the internet she basically said you worship for yourself and so you want when you worship you want to make sure you're happy because when you're happy god is happy and so worship is about you and that's our culture today it's you know that's how it goes 
And, and this is, for many of us, that's what we do. I'll go to church. I'll go to God. So I'll go because it makes me feel good or it makes me happy. The music was nice. Russell's beard looks so nice today. What a good trim job. Whatever. But here's the thing. This is, I think, probably more common. Even if you, that's not you. Let's just say you're not coming for consumer reasons to church. Okay, a lot of us come, and, and basically what we do is that we think, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to come, and I'm going to try to glean, I'm going to try to pull and pick the few little thoughts, the th- few little ideas, the, the inspiration that I can get to fit into my way of thinking, to my system. So I already think about the world a certain way. I already have my view of things. I have my view of God. I have my view of people, whatever. And I'm going to go to church, and I'm just going to add to that. And and, and basically, a sounding board of what I already think. Most of us do that. That's like why most people listen to, whether they listen to Fox News or CNN. They don't go there to be challenged. They go to hear what they already think. And I try to do, I try to listen to different things and hear different, so that I'm particularly challenged. But we sometimes come, and we may not be saying anything, but we've already said it. It's already decided in our minds, this is how I think, this is how, what I want, or whatever. And so the question is, when you come to worship, when you come to God, when you live before God, do you do that to be transformed? Are you doing it just to continue the thing, your little life project that you have happening going on. And that's what he's getting into here. And I can't tell you how many times I've had people come to me with a problem, an issue, relationship, marriage, whatever it might be, and they start telling me their issues and their problem or whatever, and they've come to me, the pastor, supposedly to get advice, to hear and to learn and to do something differently, right? That's my assumption. <laughs> Why did you come if that's not what you came to do? And I can't tell you how many times I've sat in my office or somewhere else at a coffee shop or whatever, and this person's telling me about their issue, their problem, or whatever's going on in their life, and then I, I start to say, okay, here's what you can do to make a change. Here's what you can do to make things better. And guess what they start doing? Well, but, and, but just, because they didn't come to hear. They didn't come to listen. They came to complain. They came to get their ideas affirmed. They came to hear themselves talk, I guess. And, and, and that's what it's saying. When you go into the presence of God, it is better to go listening, hearing to make all these vows and whatever, you know, and start making your ideas and talking or whatever. It's saying, shut up. Stop thinking. This is one of the things dealing with addicts. I've dealt with a lot of addicts. And one of the first things you have to try to help an addict. This is why it's, this, they had to hit rock bottom. Let's be honest. Because an addict has been trying to think their way out of their issues. And that's why they're an addict. <laughs> and so you've got to take them to a place to say, stop thinking. You don't know 
how to do this. You and your life are unmanageable and you need help. See the difference? Stop thinking. Shut up. Listen. Take. Receive. That's where he's saying, be careful, guard as you come into, I mean, and, and so when we come into the presence of God, and we're thinking, and we're doing our thing, we're coming to God with our thing, he calls it foolish. It's foolish. It, it, let's use another word. It's stupid, pointless to come to church, to come before God, to be enter into a relationship with God if you're really not just going to listen. It's like, why would you come? Why would be like going to a psychiatrist or a counselor and you are not really willing to hear what they have to say? Why pay the money? It's not worth it. You're going to go actually listen to what they say, right? Why buy a self-help book if you're not going to listen to it? I mean, it's the same principle. And why come to God if you're going to treat him like a vending machine? You're going to treat him like... You know, you, you punch the right dials, say the right prayers, do the right things. The product that you want comes out at the end in a shining solophane package. So first of all, we need to shut up and listen. And in James chapter 1, he tells us something similar to this. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And I, I've known so many people, I've been here, I mean, let me just be honest, I have to hear this as much as anybody, let's just, I always got to say that, but so many, especially in the Reformed theological world, you know, there's this idea, if I know more stuff, if I've read more theology, I know more about the Bible, I know more about the sola fide, and the solas, and the this, that, and the other, and you know, the superlapsarianism versus whatever else and all that kind of stuff, that somehow it's better. And he's saying it's better, no, not to know more about it, but to simply listen and do. Listen and obey. So first of all, it's a shut up and listen. Secondly, it's a call to make faithful commitments. See this in verses 4 through 7. It says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it for he has no pleasure in fools pay what you owe it is better that you should not vow than that you should should vow and not pay let your mouth lead you excuse me let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake why should god be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands for when dreams increase words make many grow there's vanity but god but God is the one you must fear. So, now, let's be honest with this. Because I've reversed the idea here. Because most of us today aren't rushing into the church to make vows. <laughs> let's just be honest. Right? Like, how many of you guys have your list of vows and commitments you've made before God? We, we, it's not a cultural thing. Now, there's other times, like, my grandparents, better believe it, they made vows. They made commitments. That, that was their generation. Now, with, we, have, we have what they call um, 
uh, um, the millennials. And that's, you know, these, our younger generation, my, my generation and down, basically. I'm not a millennial. I'm a, an Xer, I don't know, Gen Xer. I don't know what it is anymore. But they say, and I've experienced this, is that this younger generation now, there's a, like an, uh, um, they, there's a resistance to making commitments. Even simple ones. Like, hey, let's have a dinner party on Friday night. Okay, maybe. Or we'll do a sign-up at church. Hey, everybody sign up. We'll come to this party or whatever, do this thing. Nobody signs up. We have our planning center thing for our setup and teardown. Nobody says yes. Nobody says no. Why? Hey, maybe something might better come along. I don't know. We just don't want to commit to anything. Because, you know, we want to keep our options open. It doesn't make does it surprise you that marriage is becoming less and less of a thing. Like, why would you commit somebody your whole life? I mean, you know, 10 years from now, I might find something better. And they miss the whole point of covenant marriage. So, you know, the reality is most of us aren't making vows before God. And, uh, and, and sometimes we do. Has anybody ever done the, you know, when things are going really bad? You say, God, if you get me out of this, I'll do anything. Amanda did that one time. We were uh, at uh, a roller coaster in Charlotte, North Carolina, called the Borg, the Cyborg. It was a Star Trek thing or whatever. And you sit in this, you, you sit in these seats and you're upright and you think, okay, this is nice. And then it tips you backwards. And that's the direction you go. So you're going head first, laying on your back. It's pretty crazy. And I can remember about halfway through that ride, we're doing loops or something. And Amanda, the whole time, is screaming and freaking out. And about halfway through it, she's like, God, I'll do anything. Please get me off of this ride. It was, I was dying. I was laughing so hard. I had a great time. <laughs> and she didn't do anything. I mean, that's the thing, you know. It's, uh, we, we, it's the foxhole prayer that doesn't have any followers. That may be the type of commitment. That he, and that's what he's saying, is that these people would come into the church, they would make these vows, they'd make these commitments, it made them feel spiritual, it, gave the, it made them look spiritual, it made us look good and do all these kind of things, but then they just didn't follow through with it. And, and, and what he's saying is, that's foolish. Stop playing around with God. But here's the thing is, what we need to hear you know, there's the aspect is, don't make a vow if you can't com- commit to it. But it's still a good thing to make commitments to before God. Did you catch that? He's not saying don't make commitments before God. He's saying when you do, follow through. You, you see that part of it? That's the part I think we need to hear is like when you make the commitments. We need to make spiritual commitments in our lives. We need to set goals. We, and, and it's not about trying to earn favor with God or whatever, but it's about saying, God, I want to come in your presence. I want to be, I want to hear and be transformed. So we come, we hear, and we say, Lord, okay, I hear you. Help me to commit and make this happen. And so we make commitments and we do it. And I used to avoid this because I came from a, a church background. It was like you had to do this and you had this list of to-dos and don't-dos. It was mostly don't-dos that we were supposed to do. And I, it was very legalistic and there was no grace. There was no joy. 
And so when I found the Reformed faith in the, in the gospel of grace in Jesus, the idea of making commitments and goals and spiritual disciplines in my life, that idea seemed like outside of what grace meant. And it doesn't. Because now that I'm a parent, I know that grace sometimes makes my kids suffer in the moment. Like, yes, you have to eat that. I know it looks nasty to you right now, but it's good for you. You can't just eat cotton candy all day. You can't eat donuts all day. My kids will try to take donuts home and eat them. They'll stash them on the way home. You'll see them. And they're going to try to eat that all day. And they need meat. They need vegetables. They need, you know, nutrients in their bodies that will help them grow. I know that. And that's what we need. And so... um, So, it doesn't mean don't make commitments. It's saying, when you do, follow through. Don't just make commitments to make yourself look good and look better or make God like you more. Okay, and the last one is that we would fear God's greatness. We would fear God's greatness. And that's the, he kind of lands in on this. He says, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. And just basically what he's saying here is, you know, the toil and the fake, the false dreams of this life that it's going to make you happier or whatever, or um, just the words of our culture, just blah, 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 blah. It's It's like we need somebody else on, we need another Yelp account or something else going on and on and on. I was just watching, I can't remember the name of the show last night. It's like several guys, ladies and guys, sitting around talking about the latest news. And they were talking about an orca. They're trying to get to talk. (laughs) I was laughing so hard because they would say, like, hello. And the orca would be like, and it would be like, hello. And it would like, it literally sounded like that. And you're just like, and they were making fun of this. Like, you would sound like talking. And, and uh, one of the commentators said, yeah, like, you know, that's all we need is somebody else talking. You know, like, like we don't have enough people in this world talking, 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 talking. It's like, yes, all we need some extra Yelp account telling us that the, you know, Pacific Ocean is a three star, not a four or something, right? But God is the one you must fear. This isn't about being afraid, but it is about recognizing the power and the majesty of who God is. When we lived in Memphis, uh, Tennessee, up to, this, up to a certain day, I, I always loved watching the shows about like silverback gorillas and monkeys in the, in the wild or whatever. You all watch those like Discovery Channel kind of things. And, and I, so I was eager because I knew that the zoo... Had, a, had some silverback gorillas. And um, so that was the, we got there, we were, this was like, the, we had just gotten a membership kind of thing. And I went over and I had Knox in a stroller. He was probably like two, three, two, two years old at the time. And Watts was a little baby. He was like probably in like the, you know, the mom, mama baby carrier thing. So we went straight over there. I wanted to see these things. And we walk up. And, um, and 
there was this tall black man that came up next to us. And I think this is why the response that happened. We walk up, and we're looking, and we're trying to see where he is. And out of nowhere, this massive gorilla comes bounding across this, you know, yard. And we're in this glass, plexiglass thing. And he comes up to this window and just goes, boom, with this, like, arm fist thing. And it's boom. You, I mean, it almost knocked me on the ground. It was, like, the scariest thing I've ever experienced next to, standing next to the gate at, like, you know, the, not Talladega, but Daytona 500. That scared me, too. Uh, Just the power and the force and that glass has to be six inches thick. Because if, it was, if it's not, that thing would have come right through it. Because he is big, scary, and powerful. And so now, when I watch these cute little, you know, documentaries and stuff, and I see these animals in the wild, I'm like, and I see these people out in the open with them, I'm like, they're crazy. I wouldn't be a mile away from that thing without a giant piece of glass between us. Because I mean, Knox was crying. Why? I mean, the ki- all these kids were there, and they were all crying and freaking out. It was scary because this thing was powerful. And, th- and that's what he's trying to get us to, con- re- to, to remember and to consider is that God is powerful. God is bigger than we think. He is he is scary. He is wonderful. He is mad, majestic. He is God. If you think a gorilla in a zoo is powerful, he spoke everything into existence with his very mouth. This is no God to be trifled with. This is the God that we see in Isaiah chapter 6 when he has a vision and he's taken into the throne room of God. And he looks up and he sees the seraphim. And they're singing, holy, holy, holy. And he, and he sees the, 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 the presence of God. Or at least the, the very underskirts of the presence of God. And what is his response? Hey, Jesus, you're awesome. Yay. No. He falls on his face saying, woe unto me. Destroy me. Do anything. Get me out of here. Because I stand before a holy God. That is what he's getting at here. God is the one you must fear. God is powerful. God is bigger than you think. There's a, um, there was a, uh, I think a surveyor, um, mountain climber named Andrew Harvard. And Andrew Harvard... Uh, wanted to survey and, and uh, scale Mount Everest and wanted to be one of the first ones to do it. And he describes the first moments that he walks up and sees the eastern slopes of the mountain itself. And he says this, nothing prepared me for that first unforgettable view. As I rounded a slope, I suddenly faced an immense mass of ice and rock thrusting toward the vaults of the sky. For many moments, I stood motionless at the majesty of the scene. The virtually unknown east face of Mount Everest. 
when we come to God, we, we need to shut up and listen. We need to listen and hear and, and say, God, we come to you for transformation. We need to come seriously listening, looking, and seeking transformation. Because he is a holy, splendid, amazing God. Because here's the thing. Jesus did not come to earth to suffer and die to add a little advice to you and your plan. Jesus didn't suffer and die to make your worship experiences feel good. To make you feel good about your life. Um, Jesus didn't come to die to give you a little bit of self-improvement in your life. He came to transform you into his likeness of himself. He wanted to make you like him. And so, when we experience the grace of the gospel, which is amazing, which I'm going to repeat it real quick. I'm, I repeat it all the time, right? That God himself sent his only begotten son to live a life you can't live. It's a perfect, selfless, meaningful life that we can't live. And he came living all the commandments that we can't live out that we break constantly. And he came also to die a death that we deserve so that we could be invited to be his sons and daughters, that we could be in the most intimate relationship with the powerful God of the universe. That's good stuff, isn't it? And, but here's, what is our response to that? Here's a, and I, I heard this recently. Do we have a dog theology do we have a cat theology? You've heard this before? You have a dog theology or cat theology? Well, a dog gets fed, gets water, gets a place to sleep, gets scratched and loved on by its owners. And the response is, you must be God. Cat, on the other hand, Gets fed, gets water, gets a nice warm place to sleep, gets scratched on and loved on or whatever, and thinks, wow, I must be a God. And that's, what is our response to the grace of the gospel? Is it, oh, I must be worth all this good stuff. God loves it when I'm happy and have a good worship experience. That makes him happy. And what makes God happy is your ultimate joy in Him. And His ultimate joy might be hard, difficult transformation. Jesus suffered and died to radically transform us into His image. And so, let's ask the question, are you listening? Really? Are you listening when you come here? Are you... Are you Getting into his word. Are you, listen, are you living a life, a posture of listening for what God has to say? Secondly, are, are we making solid faith commitments before God? And, that, and some of that we've asked for you guys. Like the faith commitments we did at the end of the year. Part of that was so that we would know where we would be financially as a church. But part of it's a challenge to you guys to say... Commit trust before God. 
And, and so some of these vows that he talks about here says, you know, pay what you owe. In other words, if you've made this vow, follow through with it. So there is a, there is a money sense here. Why would somebody be challenged to vow money before God? Not because God needs your money, because you need to trust him with your money. What other commitments are there? You know, maybe it's to read your Bible more, to listen more, whatever it is. But it's, what are the commitments you're making in your God? And then lastly, are you in awe of his majesty? How big is God to you? And, and, and if he's not, let us pray and, and ask him, God, reveal to us. Open my eyes. Help me to look and listen enough to see it. Because sometimes you're just my bobblehead, Jesus. You're not the creator of the universe who spoke life into existence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that um, we thank you um, for your word this morning. This is a, a, it should be and is a harsh wake-up call. That's what this book's about. And so, Lord, I pray that as we consider how we approach you, how we approach your worship, and how we live our lives, Lord, is that we will stop playing around. We will start taking you very seriously. Uh, Not because you're mean and up there to strike us down, but because you are powerful, but also good. Like when the beaver was asking the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, about Aslan the lion, is he safe? And the beaver said, oh no, he's not safe, but he's good. And that's you, Lord. You're not safe, but you are oh so good. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live our lives in awe and reverence of the spirit of humility and listening, um, seeking your transformation. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. And so we come uh, this morning remembering